Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind we try to keep the podcast about PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. With that, I'm Emily B. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Katie. And with that, let's talk about stuff. Katie, take it away. We got a trio this week, but we're going to start out. We're going to do our normal kind of intro to our podcast this week, um, getting back in the swing of things. But we'll start out with our fan shout out. And I have a shout out to my mom who listens to our podcast. She's <laughs> a big fan. Um, but she told me the other day she listened to the spooky stories of Kenzie and the Sloths episode. And she said, I couldn't believe all that stuff that Kenzie did, but never in a million years would she ever be able to do what Kenzie did. (laughs) And her respect for you, I think, just shot through the roof after listening to that episode. (laughs) That's really what I took from that. Yeah. So I thought you'd enjoy that. Um, But that's pretty much it for our fan shout out. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to swing into our conservation updates, which I wanted to talk about... uh, did I want to talk about this last week? No, this was just recently. There was something else I feel like I missed out on uh, last the other week's episode, but that's okay. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about California condors and how they can apparently reproduce using parthenogenesis. Which is absolutely bananas. It's very rude that they've only done so recently. <laughs> Truly. Um, like, if you could have done this the whole time, what are you doing? Right? So, for those that do not know, parthenogenesis is a type of asexual reproduction where a female's egg can develop into an embryo without a sperm. Um, this has been seen in a lot of other animals like lizards, snakes, um, and also in sharks and water dragons. Um, but it has not been seen in California condors. Uh, In the 1980s, the California condor, as we've definitely mentioned on this podcast, was down to 22 individuals. So where was this then when we needed it? Um, So all 22 of those individuals were put on a captive breeding program and uh, is still running today to help the population increase. And right now there are around 500 individuals. But as you can imagine, having only 22 birds in your gene pool, um, breeding was done extremely meticulously to try and ensure as much genetic diversity as they possibly could. Um, but that being said, apparently there were two male birds, uh, California condors, born under the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance um, that didn't have any genetic contribution from the males that were paired with their uh, mothers. Uh, which could only lead to one conclusion. They were born through parthenogenesis, which is kind of wild. Um, now, like we kind of joked that, you know, why didn't they do this when they were almost dead? Um, but usually when it comes to parthenogenesis, uh, it can often lead to premature death. And unfortunately, both chicks that did hatch this way have unfortunately <clears throat> passed away. Um, due to varying yeah due to varying reasons Uh, apparently one of it one of them was in 2003 and the other 2017 all right so viewers now you might hear ellie panting in the background of emily but that's that's cool um i was kind of joking like how come california condors didn't just uh do this when they were almost extinct but usually parthenogenesis well parthenogenesis that is a hard word. It's a big word. Parthenogenesis often leads to premature death, and both chicks that were hatched this way have unfortunately um, passed, um, which happened in one of them in 2003 and the other in 2017. So I'm kind of confused as to how this news is just breaking now in 2021. Um, it might have been that they were looking at their genetics um, in order to figure out more breeding, uh, like, you know, stuff, and they were like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and what else is kind of unusual about this is usually parthenogenesis happens when there is a female who is unable to find a mate so she's like fine i'll do it myself um but in this case both females that hatched these two eggs were with males at the time uh, and they were seen breeding with the males and then they were still like nah i'll do this myself (laughs) 
um, which I think is kind of hilarious. But anyway, that's uh, one piece of conservation news for you guys. And then the second is, uh, as some of you are probably aware, the COP26 Global Climate Summit is currently underway, um, which is where leaders uh, across the world come together and uh, maybe hopefully realize that uh, climate issues are a big deal and they do something about it. Um, But so far, there have been some positive highlights of what has happened um, in the summit. And I kind of put down a couple here to tell you guys for some good news. But uh, one being a Lake Michigan-sized area of ocean connecting the Galapagos Islands and the Cocos Islands off of Costa Rica has been added to the Galapagos Marine Reserve. So it's now a protected area. And this will help protect sharks, rays, tuna, turtles, whales, and a whole lot of other ocean life. That's pretty great. Um, Another thing was world leaders who control roughly 85% of the world's forests have pledged to end forest loss in this decade, for which they have apportioned $19.2 billion in private and public money in order to do that. Yeah, that's a lot of dough right there. Let's hope Mm -hmm. they stick to their word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another thing was $1.7 billion has also been apportioned by the UK, the US, Germany, Norway, and the Netherlands to give directly to indigenous people um, in their, you know, corresponding countries to aid in their substantial contribution to forest and land conservation. So basically funding or giving money to indigenous peoples in these area because their lives just are good for the environment in general. Their life, like the way they, what's the word? Lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, usually directly aids in, you know, conservation of the environment. So they are that's the great. stewards of the land and yeah. they know how to best serve it and protect it. Exactly. Also sure feels like reparations, which, you know, yeah. they're sorely due. Well, um, <laughs> The U.S. also signed a plan to cut methane emissions by 30% by scaling back fossil fuel production. And lastly, India, which has up until this point been without a major emissions reduction target. Um, So a lot of other countries have been like, we're cutting this many emissions by, you know, 2030. Um, They have not stated anything of the sort. Um, Up until this point, they actually committed to zeroing their national emissions by 2070, um, which is kind of a really big deal um, for them to have actually made a target. Um, yeah. Which is a step in the right direction. So good on you guys. Ooh, and that's it for my you. conservation news. And uh, Abby is not with us this week, but I think Kenzie has some zoo news for us. Hi there, everyone. So we're going to hop on the good news train and keep on getting rolling. So. Choo-choo. <laughs> So it was just announced that we've had another rhino birth at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Baby seems to be happy and healthy and is bonding backstage with mom as we currently speak. So big shout out to the keepers there. Congratulations, you guys. This is their third in like a few months. So yeah. yeah. White rhino, by the way. It's a win for the species, y'all. Uh, Cleveland Zoo also welcomes a new baby, a baby gorilla, which is their first in their history of 139 years. So, wow, wow, it's also a very cute baby gorilla. You should look up pictures. Oh, absolutely. Let me pull up the Insta. Uh, while I'm doing that, giant anteater pup was also born at the Nashville Zoo. So many babies, you guys. Yeah, and giant anteater like pups always are baby super cute. Super mm-hmm. cute. These are the only babies I approve of. Uh, Detroit Zoo is offering free admission to guests who bring in old laptops, phones, and other electronics for America Recycles Day. So if you are in the Detroit area or maybe you're looking to get away for a long weekend, check out the Detroit Zoo and bring your electronics and recyclables. That's really cool, though. That is really cool. I like that. Um, Syracuse Zoo is starting to vaccinate some of their animals against COVID-19. Yay, we love it. Uh, For some of their animals, like the Amor leopards, this is vital since there are only 200 left of the species. They had 21 vaccinations to give out and had to figure out which of their 700 animals. (laughs) Like, who gets the vaccination? (laughs) Their Siamings and camels were some of the first to be vaccinated. And a reminder to everyone out there, Please get your vaccine. <laughs> I promise I, you. 
Simings, I thought, made sense because they're primates, so obviously pretty susceptible. Right. And then when I was looking into it, camels. I was like, camels, huh? Yeah. But it's because they get um, some of the most uh, contact with the most humans in the zoo um, oh, because they do, camels. like, public feeds with the camels. So, like, people can come up and feed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the big reasons why their camels got vaccinated as well. That tracks. Oh, thank you for that. I did mm-hmm. not know that. Mm-hmm. All right. And, of course... On to the classic. Emily, what have you got for us today? Of course, it is time for Beluga News, the best news. Uh, I got a couple things this week. Oh, yeah, um, we haven't had Beluga News in like a month. So yeah, I've, I've, I was literally looking. It's been two months. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're no. so sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all good. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, So, uh, actually, I'm going to go out of order here. So... This we'll start with the sad news and then we'll just get to the weird news because there's pop off the uh, positive choo choo train guys. Yeah, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a recent study done on microplastics on beluga, um, like fish that belugas eat, and the study found microplastics in all of them. We hate it. Um, They also surveyed nine necropsied belugas and found plastic in all of them too. Mm. Shocker. Uh, And then they estimate that. 145,000 particles of plastic per year are ingested by beluga whales. We don't like so, that. We do not like that. So do better, humans. Um, in other weird beluga news, um, there has been... Okay, do you all remember when that beluga whale was in San Diego? Yeah. That was like a whole thing. Well, now yeah. there's one in Seattle. Oh, wow. Oh. Buddy, what are you doing? But- um, <laughs> so... This one has been kind of hanging out around Seattle. And so he was first spotted in early October. um, And they've spotted him a couple of times since. And they were actually lucky enough to get a biopsy on him. Um, They biopsied his skin and his tissues. And they were able to run genetics on him. And they discovered that his genetics are not similar to the Cook Inlet population, which is the closest population of belugas. um, And that his genetics are more similar to the Arctic population of belugas. So they don't still don't know why he's there. Um, they said he looked healthy. They said he did not look malnourished or anything like that. He's just um, on vacation. He's just visiting Seattle. I don't know. Maybe he's got a family of killer whales he's like to meet up with. I don't know. Like, very strange. Why are these beluga's doing this? <laughs> yeah, something. Um, and then lastly, this is only like tangentially beluga related. Um, but okay, have you guys heard of these NFTs? They're like digital art that people are selling for like hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars because uh, it's some like no bitcoin-esque <laughs> nonsense that makes no sense to me nope um well people are long story short sure. um just imagine if bitcoin was a digital painting that's kind mm-hmm. of the idea here um some kid literally a 12 year old kid made one that's like a picture of these beluga whales and it sold for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. i mean honestly fair. News, i will be quitting my job and starting to make these because <laughs> apparently I'm qualified. I'm in the wrong field. Yeah. <laughs> that's so silly. And the beluga whale photo is actually hilarious. Is it? It's it? like, it's like it beluga whales. In, no, it's like beluga whales like drawn in like a cartoon style wearing suits and ties. <laughs> okay, what do you mean that is great? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let me see if I can find it again. It's so weird. Um, let's see. It literally looks like, oh, one of them is wearing a bucket hat, and he's got a, a sign on around his neck that says "Save the Planet." Okay, all right, that's nice. Yeah, we can get behind that. Yep. So that's what the picture is. It's very silly, but he sold it for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. That anyway, kid's that kid's rich now. <laughs> kids going places, and I would right. like to befriend him. Um, all right, let's get on to the actual content of this episode. Uh, Katie, what are we yes, talking about this week? This is very belated. We're going to be talking about hoofstock. For our good friend, Jessie, for she requested a battle royale of the hoofstocks for her birthday. However, it's <laughs> it's been a while since her birthday. Was it? It's like and, two months later? Yeah. yeah. And we, eh, it's like, like a month. That's, a month and a like, half. Okay. Um, and we were, you know, planning on doing that episode and then life happened. And now here we are. Um, but we decided rather than doing a battle royale, we're just kind of going to go through what hoofstock are, um, some cool, you know, traits of this 
of these animals and then some of our some of our favorites just going to go through some of the the weird and the wonderful that are hoofstock um, because they really are very weird animals i personally think they are very weird group but if you're out there wondering what the heck is a hoofstock your your good guess would be something that has a hoof and kudos to you that is pretty much what you did it good job however if you were to look up like the basic definition of hoofstock, it actually is ruminants and members of the horse family, which I know is super detailed. Um, and let's get into that a little more, shall we? So first off, members of the horse family or the uh, family equidae, um, that includes horses as we know them. We all are familiar with them, I would hope. Donkeys and zebras, which Emily will be talking about a little later, later uh, specifically about zebras. So that's one side of it. And then you have ruminants, um, which, does anyone know what a ruminant is? Is that why they have multiple stomachs? (laughs) Go ahead, Kenzie. I I was going to say the same thing. It's like, what, four-chambered stomachs at least or something like that? Yeah. So the definition of ruminants are, I'm going to butcher this word, artiodactyle ungulate mammals who chew cud, such as a cow or deer. So there's a lot of a lot of words in that, right? So yes, basically something that chews cud is gonna have multiple chambered stomachs, like you guys both said. What? Um, so there you go. And so the two other words in there that everyone's probably like, um, what language did you just speak, Katie? Is artiodactyle, um, which is any ungulate mammal that has an even amount of toes. And then that, that leads us to the other word, which is ungulate. And that's a really simple one. Ungulate is anything that has hooves. So there you go. Hoofstock animals have hooves. Wow. Crazy. I know. But it still gets more complicated than that. Uh, I feel like uh, you guys might know these two little fun facts about uh, ungulates here. But basically that like even amount of toes or odd amount of toes actually has some significance. Um, so if you're thinking about a, an animal that has a hoof, one single hoof, what would that be? A horse. There you go. Those horse, you know, anyone in the family equity, like we mentioned earlier, horses, donkeys, and zebras. Um, but then you have your artiodactyle um, ungulates, which have two. What do you guys think of with something that has two toes on their hooves? Really old horses. You know, <laughs> that's fair. But what else? Oh, oh my God. Um, deer. Anything <laughs> yeah. with hoof. Wow, I'm so sorry. Like, but... Exactly. Cloven hooves is yeah. another word for it. So you have goats, deers, antelopes, all those guys um, that are kind of what you would think of when you think of a cloven hoof. So two toes and one. Uh, but it gets more complicated than that because then you have rhinoceros and tapirs, which are also considered ungulates, but they have three toes. Um, so they're not technically considered hoofstock because they are not artiodactyle. They don't have you know even numbers and they're not equidae. They're not part of the horse family. So that's really weird to me. They're considered ungulates though. The largest ungulate out there is, in fact, a rhinoceros, the white rhinoceros. Okay, sorry, I just had to Google because my brain was like falling I know, apart. I know, I know, because I was trying to figure out where hippopotamuses fell. Hippos are even Hippos, more estranged in this family. They are the heaviest artiodactyl. I wasn't even going to go into that. <laughs> Sorry, but they're even-toed ungulates. Because they okay. have four, yes. But there's okay. also something about hippos that, like, estranges them as well. Yeah. I forget exactly okay. what it Sorry. is. Sorry, I just was like, wait, but what about hippos? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, here's another fact that'll blow your mind. Dolphins are considered ungulates because they are closely related to artiodactyles, even-toed no. ungulates. Cetaceans evolved from an even-toed ungulate ancestor. And cetaceans are actually more closely related to even-toed ungulates, um, so like you know, your goats, your deer, all those guys, than odd-toed ungulates, horses, rhinos, zebras, donkeys, etc. So a dolphin is more closely related to an antelope than a, a horse. Riddle me that one, evolution. 
Riddle me dolphins in general evolution. Literally, <laughs> like just <laughs> dolphins really were like <laughs> maybe this explains why people all the that with evolution. <laughs> why? Now, yes. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. So the next part was I just want to mention this really briefly before you go into it, Emily. But yeah, a common characteristic of hoodstock is that they are herbivores or in very rare cases omnivores um your rare cases being pigs um because pigs are omnivores but mainly um all hoofstock are herbivores except for uh way back in the day about 50 million years ago there were carnivorous carnivorous ungulates on earth and they were terrifying they were so scary they're called mesonychids men oh god mesonychids we're gonna go with that mesonychids um sorry if that's completely wrong but you can google it mesonychids will haunt your nightmares they they basically look like land dolphins with hair oh and hooves um which is what like which is where the dolphin evolved from is this carnivorous carnivorous ungulate because you know they just took that into the water they're so weird they're so weird they're scary i don't like them i'm I'm not gonna lie i'm kind of glad they're extinct so it looks like a wolf a dolphin and a hippo all had a baby (sighs) that's exactly what i (laughs) correct so i just wanted to jump ahead with that little fact because that kind of freaks me out Sure. But, uh, what are some other common characteristics of hoofstock, Emily? Well, as you may have guessed, they do in fact have hooves. <laughs> crazy. Um, crazy. So the hoof is actually the tip of a toe, um, and it's strengthened by this keratin covering. So that's what makes it hard. Um, most even-toed ungulates, like sheep and goats and deer, um, have two main hooves on their foot together, called a cloven hoof. So we've covered that a little bit already. Um, most of these have smaller hooves called dewclaws a little bit further up. Um, these are not for walking, um, but some species, they may touch the ground when they're running like deer. Um, other cloven-hoofed animals like giraffes do not have dewclaws. And in some cloven-hoofed animals like camels, the hoof is not even a hoof. It's a soft toe with a nail. <laughs> I, this is just, there's too much. That's why when people are like, oh, I'm a hoofstock zookeeper, I'm like, what does that even mean? (laughs) That's so many things. Too broad. Please narrow that down. All right. Do you you take care of antelopes or or pigs or, or, I don't know, zebras, what, giraffes? Truly. Everyone. They're usually everyone, actually. And when they say they're a hoofstock keeper, they literally are running the entire (laughs) hoofstock of the zoo. (laughs) Um, okay, so with that, we are going to just jump right into talking about some of our favorite little weirdos. Um, we have, I believe, nine of them for your consideration today or something <laughs> to that sort. We have um, a few. I also would like to put in an honorable mention for the bongo, which is Jesse's actual True. favorite stock. Yeah. And none of us wrote about it. <laughs> well, I thought that would kind of be unfair, though, if we were doing a battle royale, which is what we were planning. That's like, right. You know, if one of us picked the bongo, we were going to win no matter what. If you've ever seen... I'm going to poorly describe a bongo. <laughs> it's like an orangish antelope with these cool looking horns and some stripies and they're called the ghosts of the forest and they're pretty cool. Um, but just Google a bongo animal and you will find out what they look like. They're very cool. They are endangered. Please protect them at all costs. Um, and with that, we're going to jump into all of the ones that we did pick. And the first one are mouse deer. They have a very I fancy name them. with which I do not know how to pronounce. Chevrotins, sure. Yeah, maybe. I don't know either. I'm they're just gonna refer just, to them mouse as mouse deer. deer. Uh, it's basically a teeny tiny itty bitty little deer, like literally a tiny deer that's the size of a rabbit. Can you even imagine? Um, there are ten different species of them. Most of them are found in Asia, and then some of them are in. There's, I think, two species in Africa, or maybe it's just one. Um, but they are the smallest of all hoofstock. Um, males have tusks, which is kind of cool. It's actually not really a tusk. It's like an elongated canine tooth, but they look like tusks. Um, And neither male nor females have horns or antlers. They just have the little tusks. And um, something cool about them is that there was a species of mouse deer um, in Vietnam. I think it's called a silver-backed mouse deer. Uh, They had not been sighted since 1990 and were going to be going up for consideration to be like declared extinct. Um, but then they found some in 2019. 
They're still we're just like, running hey around. Guys, we're we're still here. We're just tiny. They're just so small. Uh, so who knows? They don't really know a lot about their population numbers um, since, like, again, they've poorly studied. Um, but cool that they found some. They're not totally extinct yet. Um, and then just again for some, what's the word? Context. Uh, these guys are tiny. Literally anywhere from a pound and a half to. 35 pounds max. If you look um, up a picture of a mouse deer, I, I like to describe them as potatoes with toothpicks. Yes. Um, they literally 100%. have the skinniest legs I have ever seen. I don't know how every time they walk, they don't just break their little legs because they're just so thin and tiny. It doesn't make sense to me. They're so small. Um, and then something else cool about them is that they're very closely related to pigs. They exhibit a lot of pig-like behaviors. Explain um, that to me. I don't know. I just read it on Wikipedia. Dang it, Daddy Darwin. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, moving forward. My most favorite hoofstock is a mountain goat. Uh, because mountain goats aren't even goats. They're antelope. What? Okay, bum, bum, I want you to know. Bum. I'm going to tell you a very short story. Called <laughs> one day, I was working at the turtle hospital, and I was in the back uh, where we stock our shirts. And someone said that to me out loud. And I said, excuse me, what? And I literally fell to the ground and had a full-out existential crisis when I found out a mountain goat was not a well, goat. It was an antelope. To be fair, no. Because when you look at a picture of them, they're, like, kind of scary. They are. They're and so like, big. And, like, that tracks for, like, how I, I think of goats in general. So then when you tell me that it's actually an antelope, I'm like, what? Yeah. Nature, <laughs> what are you doing? Um but specifically, I would like to talk about the Rocky Mountain goat. Um, we actually had some of these in my zoo growing up, which was kind of cool. Oh, wow. Um, but anyway, they are very closely related to antelope, gazelles, and cows. They can climb a pitch steeper than 60 degrees, which is essentially straight up. Um, they are the largest mammals that can live past 13,000 feet of elevation. Cool. Um, I think they're actually the largest animal that can live past that. Um, elevation and there is at least one documented case of a mountain goat killing a person so (laughs) i just thought that that was noteworthy because they're a little bit scary when you look up a picture of them they're like beasts they're they're large and and they look very muscular and powerful so i would not want to come across one on a on a mountain path that's (laughs) what i'm saying and mostly i just wanted to mention them because they're antelope and that just still like my brain cannot comprehend that also, fun little tip, if you Google just mountain goats, um, a band will come up instead of the animals. You have to type, type in mountain goats animal. And then... Uh, oh, yeah, because yeah. mountain goats tour comes up. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, Katie, what you got? I got the okapi, um, the very cool animal found in Africa. Um, it is also known as the forest giraffe, and they are found in northeast... Uh, Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. Now, before I go any further, listener, if you do not know what an okapi looks like, please do yourself a favor. Google a quick little pic of them so you can see where the confusion comes in as to why people always think when they see an okapi at a zoo, what is that weird zebra doing in there? Well, I got news for you. Even though they got the same pattern on the back legs, they are they're all their legs. Um, they are not zebras. They are okapi, and they are actually the closest cousin of the giraffe. Uh, they are also the only cousin of the giraffe, actually. <laughs> uh, so they have that going for them, too. Uh, but they, that's also why they get the nickname the forest giraffe. But they have a lot of similarities between them and giraffes. They, um, in males, in the male okapi, they have something called ossicones, which when you look at a giraffe, they have those two little knobs on the top of their head. Those are their ossicones. Uh, male okapi have them as well. And they both have very long, dark, prehensile tongues to help them uh, scoop up leaves and grab them off of branches. Uh, the difference is giraffes are grabbing them off of very tall trees, very high up, whereas okapi are actually getting a lot of their uh, vegetation from the ground um, or from kind of they're not really reaching up too high, but that's actually very important to their ecosystem. Uh, they do have very long necks, though, for, you know, the animal that they are, to be fair. And fun fact, their tongues are so long that they could lick their own eyeballs if they felt like it. Which is a fact that I don't think everyone needs to know. But 
I knew but it. Here so we are. There you go. They also just have really big ears that I love. That's like probably one of the main reasons why I love Okapi so much is they just got cute big ears. Um, but fun things about the Okapi is uh, in the 1800s when Europeans uh, were in you know this area of Africa, they referred to the Okapi as the African unicorn because they didn't believe it actually existed, even though locals were like, uh, bro, we've seen them. We live here. They exist. But I, like, a white man, nah. am confused. <laughs> yeah, they were like, nah, that's cool, though. Like, But if I haven't seen it, it's definitely not real. And they were, quote-unquote, discovered in 1900 by the European world, even though they, you know, obviously had been known for much longer, um, which I just think is very funny in the white a man sad sort of way. <laughs> Uh, they are so difficult to find, though, because they live in really dense rainforest habitats, and they are solitary animals. Uh, so unlike their cousins, the giraffes, that tend to live in herds, they uh, like to be by them little, by, their, by themselves, which is also why it can be very hard for them to find a mate sometimes. But one of the best ways that scientists have been able to observe and study this species is through camera traps, um, which start uh, basically taking a video whenever it detects motion in front of it, so... Um, they're able to study them in the forest uh, without disturbing them because they are very shy and very skittish animals. Um, and then one big other thing with Okapi is why do they have those zebra pants on if they're not even zebras then? Well, it just so happens that stripes happen to actually offer pretty great camouflage um, when they stand in partial sunlight um, that filters through the rainforest habitat. Um, some other theories are that the stripes also help the young okapi follow its mother through the dark forest, and it might help adults find each other too, um, though they do have a very good sense of smell um, and can leave a sense for others to find a mate. So that's usually what they're depending on for that. Um, one other little fun thing is they're, they have like a dark purplish uh, reddish brown fur, and it's really dense, and apparently it feels like velvet. Um, I had a friend once who... Um, at the zoo I used to work at, we had Okapi, and she got to go behind the scenes and meet one of the Okapi, and she found out that she was allergic to it. No! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true story. Um, she was actually on the safety team for this zoo, so she was, like, in the area inspecting, like, safety things, but they were like, oh, want to meet the Okapi? And she was like, yeah, a Jew. Um, after she Very touched sad. it, so I... Rough. <laughs> um, but the fur is super oily so when it's really rainy in the rainforest the water slides right off and keeps them dry um, now the not so fun thing about the okapi is they are an endangered species mainly due to habitat loss from logging but because of this they are fully protected under Congolese law um, they are found in zoos throughout the U.S. and they're on a, a species survival plan but one big way we can help them is to recycle our old electronics um, they are found in the same area that cold tan is mined, which is why that, you know, when we mentioned, what was it, the Denver Zoo? Detroit Zoo? Detroit Zoo. Detroit Zoo. Earlier, um, that's why they were asking people to bring in their old electronics. It's um, part of a lot of conservation efforts to reduce mining in those areas, uh, therefore leaving their habitats intact uh, because it's found, that mineral is found in our cell phones and laptops and such, so. I like Okapi. They're a funky, shy little animal, and I respect that. By little, I mean they're actually pretty big. So, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of their actual not cousins. Yeah, let's talk about the Stripey Boys. Uh, does anybody remember the movie Racing Stripes? Oh, my gosh. Unfortunately. Yes. Sorry. I just had a, I had a memory. <laughs> I, I can't say I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's not my favorite movie. <laughs> I honestly just remember, like, the cover. Anyway. Um, so there are three types of zebras that exist in the world. Uh, there are the grevy zebras, which are endangered. They're the plain zebras, which are, uh, near threatened and the mountain zebras, which are vulnerable. Um, now the big question with the zebras is, but why are they stripy? Uh, and the answer is we don't really know. We have some really good guesses. Uh, there are tons of hypotheses as to why that zebras have stripes. Um, now, they live in the plains, right? So it's not super great camouflage if you're just standing out in the open like many zebras do. Um, however, 
like I said, scientists have come up with lots of different theories as to why they could be stripy. Some of them are like, because if they all stand together, it's hard to pick one out. Or if they're all running together, it looks like one confusing barcode. <laughs> um, the biggest like supported hypothesis right now is that it helps deter bugs. Um, like the flies don't want to land on the zebras because they're like, what's going on? Um, yeah, this is so literally are you the... saying that we should all just wear striped clothing outside. That is exactly what I'm saying. Mm. I'm for it. I look mm. at the stripes. Um, but yeah, so that's why we think they have stripes. If you want to learn more about it, there are probably hundreds of articles you could read. Um, but there is no complete uh, consensus right now. Um, I came across this cute little quote in one of the article I, articles I read, and it said, Zebra's dazzling stripes make them among the most recognizable mammals. And like almost every article I read just talked about how iconic zebras are and how everybody mm. loves zebras. They are like, pretty iconic. I guess, yeah. Isn't that the name of a group of them? Isn't it called the Dazzle of Zebras? It, it is. is. Yeah. So cute. I love that. <laughs> um, now the other question with zebras is, are they black with white stripes or white with black stripes? And the answer is, look at their nose. What color is their nose? It's black. It's black. So they are black down. with white stripes. Exactly. Um, fun thing I learned about them today, they can roll over. Apparently that's not super Oh my common. God, yeah, it's so cute. Um, but adorable. We love that. They do have similar vocalizations to donkeys. They're quite closely related to donkeys. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. And then the other cute thing I found out about zebras is there's a Maasai proverb um, in Africa um, about zebras and it's just very cute and it says a man without culture is like a zebra without stripes aka get your shit together and get cultured um <laughs> but i just thought that was really cute and I, that's a bunch of cute zebra facts for you loved all those so this next little dude i had never even heard of until earlier today when abby suggested that we cover uh, have you guys ever heard of the salad before i sure I have not I've heard of them but i don't know much about them and I feel like nobody does. Uh well that you're you're pretty on the money. So these guys, <laughs> these guys are pretty cool. Looking at uh photos of them, they're absolutely gorgeous. They're like a miniature oryx and they have this deep russet brown, almost reddish fur to them and a couple of white stripes um on white markings along the face, neck, and tail. Uh, they are the, the photos of them that I'm looking at are blurry because they must be just that hard to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these guys are actually known as the Asian unicorn, um, and they were actually not discovered until 1992 in Northwest Whoa. Vietnam. Yeah, and there's only ever been four documented scientific sightings of them since. Holy cow! The Okapi's got nothing on these okay. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm raising my hand, but you can't see it. Yes. Um. Sorry, I just noticed. So the Sala are the Asian unicorns. The Okabis are the African unicorns. Obviously, the narwhals are the Arctic unicorns. <laughs> yes. I feel like are. I need to keep going here. Like, I mean, technically, that. you could also say rhinos are the um, African unicorn, too. Okay, but what's and also Asian unicorn? Yeah. Um, I need one for every continent now. Yeah. Hmm. I'll get back anyway, to you on that. I'm yeah. Think about it. We'll think about it. We'll, we'll brainstorm. Speak. Anyway. Speaking of unicorns and their fabulous horns, uh, not much is really known about the Sala uh, other than they have very distinctive horns. They have two that measure up to about 20 inches in length, and they actually belong on both males and females. Uh, they also have very large maximillary glands, which are kind of along the cheeks, and it's theorized that they use these to help scent mark territory or communicate with one another. And so I was doing a little bit more of a Google search. These guys can only be found in the Ammonite Mountains, which is in Vietnam and Laos. They're very old, deep growth forests. So it's been very hard, obviously, for scientists to get an accurate population count on them, but they are critically endangered. Um, and one of the biggest reasons for that is, of course, loss of habitat and also potential trading in wildlife goods. Don't do it. Don't do it, guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if you guys are interested to know more about what is being done or look at more projects, there is the, let's see here, the Sala Working Group. And then there's also the, oh, where'd you go? I just had it. 
Ah, there's also the Project Analuk, uh, which is native Laos, I believe. Con Project Analuk, meaning conservation of the Lao language, yes. So if you guys want to learn more about these animals and what you can do to help them, uh, definitely check those sites out. They seem pretty cool and legit. Nice. Love yes. that. Well, speaking of strange antelopes, though, technically <laughs> the Sala is more closely related to bovids than antelopes. But anyway, oh, speaking of strange animals, Katie, yeah. what do you got for our next guy? Uh, I got the Sega antelope, but quickly want to tell Emily that I found an article that's literally called Meet 10 Animals That Look Like Real-Life Unicorns. And... The first few, it's like the Sala. They have the Indian rhino, narwhal, and then Okapi, um, unicorn fish. Duh. Okay, I was going to say unicorn fish. And then they have the Texas unicorn mantis, which is this, like, looks like a mantis, except it literally has a little horn in the middle of its head. Oh. All right, that's the North American unicorn. We got it. There you go. Um, and then they have a few others on this list uh, unicorn goblin spider, helmeted curacao. Sow. Curacao. Yeah. It's a bird in South America, so there is South America's unicorn. Um, unicorn shrimp and the Arabian oryx. And that's it. That's all this list has. But there you go. You got the Texas uh, unicorn mantis. Poor got him. Got <laughs> But talking about more weird and wonderful things, the Sega antelope what a what a guy just are those the one with oh yes the I funny noses yes. yes oh my goodness so yes them. do yourself a favor google sega antelope s-a-i-g-a antelope they are very they have a very distinctive appearance thanks to their swollen nose i think personally that they look like they stepped straight out of a star wars film like this is not an animal from earth this is one that was plucked off of you know naboo or what have you and they just plopped it down on earth and they were like no one will notice um, <laughs> but here they are um, it's thought that their nose uh, filters out dust in the dry summers of the semi-desert grasslands of the Eurasian steppe where they live shout out to the Eurasian steppe we still don't Where's know the grass? <laughs> we don't know where that grass is what type of grass it is but they are unfortunately also critically endangered which I think is an absolute crime because they are one of the most cool-looking animals we have on this planet. Um, but they are often hunted for their impressive horns, which are thought to have um, medicinal properties in a lot of traditional medicines, um, even though they do not, and uh, for their meat as well. They also have had a lot, like, they've just had bad luck. They've had a lot of mass die-offs due to disease um, in the past, and they also suffer from habitat loss. So... These guys need help. Um, and there's a lot of really cool organizations doing some great work for them. They are not ones, unfortunately, that you um, see in zoos, which I'd like to see a reason for that. I would like to see some of them in zoos, but that's cool. Um, another cool thing about them is they have been around since the age of mammoths and saber-toothed tigers. Um, and they are a very important cultural and historical symbol for a traditional nomadic lifestyle in Central Asia. So... There you have it, Star Wars character of the Earth, the Sega antelope. Uh, I think we got one more. Yeah, one more. I mean, it's kind of hard to follow up on uh, the Sega antelope. They're... Oh, is it Sega? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sega, Sega, tomato, tomato. I don't know. Every time I say Sega, I'm like this close to saying Sega, <laughs> the video game thing. So that might be why I was saying it that way too. I haven't heard that jingle in years. I know. I know. <laughs> All right, Go well, ahead. folks, rounding out uh, this lineup here, we have one of the more commonly known uh, antelope species, or shall I say, hoofstock. You this say guy, that, but. This guy if you asked me to picture this animal, I would not know what to picture. Same. I'm well, not it's a good really. thing. I like creative writing, so here we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you one of the most gorgeous animals on the planet. Meet the Hinsbach oryx, or the Gimsbach, if you don't want to be pretentious like myself. So, <laughs> the Gimsbach oryx, they usually stand a little over four feet at the shoulder. They're usually kind of a light gray or beige color. Very thick, muscular neck. They similar to a horse's, but you know, just a little bit extra muscle. 
They have white and black faces and these beautiful horns that come out the top of their head in these gentle spirals. I mean, they're absolutely amazing. Uh, one of the reasons why I picked them was <laughs> surprise. I saw them when I was in Botswana, and I remember being so excited to see them. They are just so pretty. I chose them specifically for the aesthetics, but they do have some pretty cool features. So Gimsbach oryx are very much desert dwelling or dry environment adapted animals. These guys can actually go about nine months without drinking water. And this wow. is because, yeah, right, right. And this is because they usually obtain their moisture from the plants that they graze on. They also will dig for succulent roots, tubers, and they also have been known to eat wild melons as well in order to get their water content. Now, both sexes have horns, and they have been used as weaponry. Uh, obviously, males will use it to fight for mating rights, and females have actually been known to use it to fight off two frisky males as well as predators. Heck so, yeah. Hashtag girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> now, these guys are fairly social animals, and they have been known to be seen in herds of up to 200 to 300 individuals. Now, usually there will be a dominant breeding male, but non-dominant males have been known to be allowed to linger in these large herds. Uh, of course, these numbers will dwindle down and pare down during more lean times because it's just more efficient to find resources when you don't have a huge group following you around. Also, for kicks and giggles, I highly recommend looking up a baby oryx. Uh, usually, once they are done the mom will stash them away and hide them for a time until it's safe for them to come out. They are the cutest little things, and their horns will already start to be Oh, difficult. my God. Yes. And their ears are too big for their head. <laughs> I oh. love them so much. Oh, <laughs> they are pretty cute. They yeah. look so ridiculous. They do. They look yes. ridiculous with their little stubby horns. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I it kind of looks like them. a baby reindeer. Is Almost. that a weird yeah. comparison? No, I think I think so too. I could They're I like could are a little too fuzzy, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, ten out of ten would take a bullet for them. Speaking of bullets, <laughs> <laughs> left turn. Um, I noticed that when I typed in Gimsbach Oryx, one of the first things that popped up was get a Gimsbach Oryx horn. Um, no or, you know, hunting safaris because they are very prized for uh, safari hunters I mean they're gorgeous animals they're beautiful personally I'm not a big fan of hunting them but they are of least concern although okay. their numbers have gone down in recent years due to loss of habitat climate change and also sometimes over hunting you know, yeah all of it wait they released a bunch of these guys in north america they did wait, yes what? that's another fun fact yeah uh they're kind of an invasive species in some what areas. i am literally yeah, reading about this so... right now yeah. they released 93 of them between 1969 and 1977 in the tularosa basin in new mexico in the, in the united states um and this is the 60s because they do not have any predators such as a lion yep uh basically they just went wild oh my gosh yeah an I mean, unknown number of animals are now established dang Incredible. yeah i mean that's like prime habitat for them too so of course they're thriving wow well yeah. dang uh speaking of um hoofstock conservation yeah what you got a lot of speak? times well a lot of times they're overpopulated or invasive, and then they wreak havoc on um, plant life and eco balance in ecosystems. Um, I, the prime example for this in, in the good old U.S. of A. is, is our deer problem. We have white-tailed deer. Too many white-tailed deer, and they're everywhere, and they are overpopulated, and they're even invasive in many areas. Um, and they pose a huge threat because of their heavy grazing. They just just eat everything. Um, and, and a lot of times they're eating the plants that we really like and that other animals really like. So it's not great. Um, but the reason they're just running rampant and wild and overpopulated is because we don't have any of our large predators anymore. Um, we have, you know, made our red wolves, other wolves, um, larger cats like, you know, bobcats, cougars, mountain lions, all those guys. Um They've gone extinct uh, locally in a lot of areas in the U.S. because of human um, interference or hunting. And uh, now the deer are like, great, we're free. 
Um, so unfortunately that's led to um, a lot of like kind of temporary solutions um, like culling of deer populations. Um, it really doesn't solve the bigger picture, which is to help predator species increase their population and to bring them back to areas where they've gone extinct um, to bring back that balance. Your prime example being the wolves in Yellowstone. Not that that's white-tailed deers, but same idea. Um, so that's just a, a conservation issue that while it's not hoofstock that are in danger, it's kind of the effect that um, an ecosystem out of balance with one animal um, kind of running things uh, issue where it can happen. But regarding hoofstocks and their issues, the biggest issue for most species um, is related to habitat loss due to agriculture, lumber, or for the creation of industrial uh, areas. Um, and in some cases, hunting or poaching is the biggest threat for these animals for their horns um, or in, you know, the case of rhinos specifically, like the, um, the horns in particular are very valued. So there you go. All right. So how can we help the hoofstock? Uh, we've mentioned a lot of different things um, about some of the individual species that we've talked about and how you can help those. Um, but some general things you can do to support hoofstock is to support zoos, um, especially because a lot of the ones that are um, endangered or cri critically endangered uh, take part in species survival plans. So that's super helpful, um, as well as supporting your national parks and even state parks, because a lot of them have wildlife management plans to help increase the numbers of the ones that need it or decrease the numbers of the ones that we don't need. Um, habitat protection is really important, obviously, for hoofstock. A lot of the ones that we know very little about is because there aren't very many of them and their habitat is actively being taken away um, or fragmented by humans. So reducing wood and paper use and purchasing sustainable products. Um, and then the biggest one of all, please do not feed wild animals. When you feed wild animals, you change their behavior. And when you change their behavior, everything goes to crap. So <laughs> do not feed them because what you feed them is not nutritionally appropriate. And you'll just hear me yelling in the back of your head. Um, lastly, we have some fun announcements. Um, happy birthday to Abby. Hers Yay! was just two days ago. Also, happy birthday to me. Uh, my birthday was a week ago. You're all welcome. <laughs> um, you're welcome for gracing me with my presence. Happy birthday, Emily. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Katie's uh, birthday not too long ago, wasn't it? It's true. Yeah. We've... We're both October babies. We are. And... Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday to three-fifths of the conservation queens. Uh, <laughs> and then lastly, if you're not already following us on social media, please do so. You can follow us on every social media that exists and Patreon. Um, our handle is Conservation Queens Podcast. Or you can email us at conservationqueenspodcast at gmail. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and with that, we're going to wrap this up. So thank you so much for joining us. Get out there and stay sustainable. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>